So good evening. Been looking forward to being with you tonight. Been holed up in my little cubicle thinking about tonight's topic and um, always have that sense of the amazing unknown because I have no idea what will happen. And it's really the nature of our of reality, isn't it? We don't know what will happen next. And, and that can be either exciting or put us into a state of awe and wonder, or we can become afraid, tense up. And you can see, if you think about either, either way of being with it, if I'm with the, un, the fact that everything is unknown, if I'm with that as it is, it's, it's bright. If I'm afraid about it, if I tighten up, if I cling to needing to know how it's going to be, what's the result? I suffer. So this talk will be all about um, what, what we do, what our habits are, what, and what helps us to uh, relax, uh, the, um, relax our, um, our hearts and minds and really cure our fatigue and our restlessness and our agitation. And it's really about opening to our life the way it is. And tonight, the way it is, is I don't know. So hopefully we can all listen to this talk with a a don't-know mind. I did write a few things down, but I'm never very good at following uh, what's written down. The Buddha, like you, like the rest of us, like all beings, was, uh, when he was a prince, uh, the unenlightened Buddha, the unawakened one, he was struggling. He was, he was dissatisfied, frustrated. Uh, he wanted, just like all of us, to be happy. He, and it's what, really what unifies all of us, the desire to be happy and the desire not to suffer. He didn't want to suffer, but he had this deep sense of dissatisfaction. Any of you relate to that at all? And he had everything. He had, relative to his time, all the bells and whistles, the comparable to the, the iPhone, iPad, MacBook Pro, MacBook Air. You can tell what my desires are all about. <clears throat> he had all that and was, was not satisfied. And he really couldn't figure out uh, how to be happy. But his dissatisfaction, and hopefully your dissatisfaction, is a blessing. It's, as he described it later, as the springboard to nirvana. That, that uniquely human capacity to turn our difficulties into the path, or turn our difficulties into uh, healing or relief. And... Hopefully that's what we're, what we're up to here. His confusion, his dissatisfaction, his, his um, frustration, his suffering was due to ignorance, not having clear perception of how things are. And as you know about the nature of his life story, and you could probably see this for yourself, and I saw this in the groups today, and with some of the comments in the hall, the more he was able to apply a kind of clear perception, able to see things more clearly, his heart relaxed, his mind opened, and he became less and less in contention with reality. He became more at ease. So we see that there's a direct correlation between ignorance, not seeing very clearly, and the tendency to be stuck on a wheel of confusion and, and suffering. So every condition that we create on the retreat here is not to create a new reality. We have no interest in changing your experience. But all the conditions presented here are set up for the purpose of you being able to see clearly, for you to be able to have that intimacy with your life. 
And we start, as the, the Buddha reminded us to start, in terms of discovering the truth, what, what causes us to suffer, what helps us to re- our suffering relief be relieved, and whatever path we need to follow, it starts with mindfulness directed to our body. He had a beautiful passage that really encapsulates the whole of the teaching. And I'll spend some time describing this tonight. He said, within this fathom-long body, with its perceptions and its inner sense, lies the world, lies the cause of the world, lies the cessation of the world, and lies the path that leads to the cessation of the world. That this whole path, everything, just the fact that we're here, depends on this fathom-long body. So this is a continual reminder that this is not this practice, and awakening is not an out-of-body experience. It's an in-the-body experience. And we could not open our senses. We could not perceive anything. We could not have clarity of vision, knowledge of things the way they are. We could not if it wasn't for this fathom-long body. He says, within this fathom-long body, with its perceptions and inner sense, lies the world. And to me this is a reminder and why it's so relevant to what we're doing here is that our ideas of the world, just as a thought of our mother is not our mother, our ideas of the world are not the world. We talk about the world all the time and it's wonderful that we can talk about the world and we can think about the world, the outer world, our world situation, our social situation, our political, it drives us a bit crazy. But we're, it's wonderful that we can think about that and we can discourse about it, we can talk about it. But this isn't really the world. It's the world of our imagination. Our imagination's wonderful. If we didn't have our imagination, it would be hard to, to live our lives. But for the purpose of realizing in the deepest way who and what you are, we have to see what's more immediate uh, what is what really is reality? And what is the world? And what the Buddha basically suggested was that the world is just what's immediately occurring at the what he called the six doors of perception. So the world right now is the is the ear and what's heard. You can hear it. The eye and what's seen, smell and what's, uh, nose and what's smelled, tongue and what's tasted, body and what's felt, mind and what's cognized, thought. That's all. That's the world. And when we stay in touch with the world as it is, in this moment, it's not so terrible, is it? It's just things in their bare simplicity. It's just intimate. It's just life. We can see that what dramatizes this, what turns it into um, the cause of the the sense of, of so much of our misery is the way that our mind reacts to this, these sense experiences, these simple sense experiences. And because of the way our mind reacts, our, our mind launches very far afield into an imaginary version of reality. And again, that imaginary version of reality is useful. The one that we create in our mind, the th- one that we think about, but it's not reality. And our practice is to see the difference between what's actually real here, and I'm just reiterating some of what Anna said last night. What's real and what is, the, what is our story about it? Whenever I get to this point in any conversation, I always think of the passage from James J. Audubon where he 
said, if there's a difference between the bird and what the field guide book says, believe the bird. (laughs) So within this fathom long body lies the world, lies the cause of the world. So it's what's the whole world that gets created in our mind, the world of the, I call it the world of the imagined sufferer. is simply the, the result of different reactions to uh, these sense experiences that we're having. And those reactions you've heard so many times in the teachings are the, the reactions that, in the simplest way, start with liking and disliking, but they harden into grasping, clinging, attachment, identification, and then we fall into what's called uh, greed, hatred, and delusion, confusion, all triggered by these immediate experiences that you're having. So we're discovering as we sit here in these days, coming into our bodies, doing the asanas, walking, we're coming into into direct contact with the beginning of the world, how it is that we create the sense of ourselves in time, the sense of ourselves as... uh, the version that's going from somewhere in the past, passing through the present on our way to the future. When really there's, all we know in the present is there's seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. So we try to learn the difference between the world that we create in our mind and what's actually happening here. So the Buddha was as confused as all of us about things the way they are life in its simplicity. And his, as his view cleared, as he began to see things more simply, his, his heart opened, his mind relaxed, and he came out of that sense of confusion. And hopefully that's what will happen uh, to each of us. I think, I don't know your name, uh, the one who spoke this morning about the pain in the... Th- Peter. Peter. Loved what Peter described this morning. Said, I, you gave me the encouragement to, to open to these physical sensations, this pain, and even though I didn't like it, when I opened to it, turned toward it, I think, I'm, I'm of course paraphrasing, said it didn't kill me. Does that seem accurate? And many people smiled and appreciated, but you may not have appreciated, and Peter, you may not have appreciated that you went from from what we would call dukkha, that which is difficult to bear, that unsatisfied feeling, that frustrated, that that feeling of friction that we that we have so many times in our life. Our my, life is marked by that feeling. You went from that. And you had, up until that point that you had turned toward it to a certain degree, you had wanted that to go away. You were really busy finagling, strategizing, figuring out how to not to have that pain in your knees, a pain in your thighs. And then you decided to take the advice and just feel it. And you didn't come to a complete state of joy and but you came to a, by opening to it, by turning toward it, you, in that moment, I'm, I may be projecting on you, but, but in that moment, you stopped suffering about it. So you're, when you said it didn't kill me, you saw that, uh, that there was at least, because your confusion had, had gone away, all of your worst fears didn't come to pass. So confusion or ignorance was dispelled and you saw, yes, I can experience this pain and not die. And you highlighted in your experience the fact that all of us have pain and the suffering about that pain is not based on the pain, not based on the feeling of uncomfortableness or dissatisfaction, but it has everything to do 
with the, our either openness to it or our being, um, being uh, resistant to it. And this, is, this little vignette is, in one way, a real-time which is what the practice is all about. It's all about real time. It's not about adopting views. It's about a real time apprehension of the classic teaching called the Four Noble Truths. The biggest teaching that the Buddha offered, the culmination of all of his insight knowledge, the, the teaching in which all the other teachings spring from, the Four Noble Truths, you realized in real time. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> and I'll talk a little bit about that. But first, I want to. When I was thinking about this today, I just had a. I was just leading a retreat up in the prairies of Saskatchewan. And as I was leaving the country, I was told by the gate agents down on the lower level of the um, of the airport that I was uh, late for my flight that the flight had been moved 10 minutes earlier and that I had to rush upstairs and go through security. And so I rushed upstairs and, I, and there was a huge line. And so I, I gently asked people in line if I could go ahead. I was late for my flight. And the security guy saw me uh, go through and he stopped me. And he said, you can't do that. You were supposed to be here two hours ago. Something like that, you know, the basic rules. And he was being a hard, you know what. <laughs> and I got really pissed. <laughs> and I said, I asked people. And everybody in line nodded. Yeah, he asked us, he asked us. He says, I want you to go back and ask every single person. And I said, you've got to be kidding. And I, I started to, I was, remember the Buddha talked about anger. <laughs> this is a kind of clinging to, uh, we get angry for two reasons. Frustrated desire, clearly, and wounded pride. You know, I, you know he was pulling rank on me. And I, in, under my breath, unfortunately, heard it, called him a name. And he said, if you ever call me that name again, you, w- you won't get through security at all. But, but meanwhile, <laughs> I quickly, because I've done a little bit of work with, with the teachings of the Four Noble Truths in real time, and I say all this so that you can do this on the retreat, all through at any point and in your life. Because if you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. It really is even though the teaching that I will about to elaborate on is uh, filled with uh, things that we can study and, and examine to see whether they're true and to, we can discuss it and we can, we can find the subtleties in it and how it relates to other teachings, it really comes down to a real-time uh, realization of these truths. So I realized in that moment that this, was, this is dukkha. This is, dukkha is the word that's often translated as suffering. This is the first noble truth. That which is difficult to bear. There's friction, there's dissatisfaction, there's, there's difficulties, there's imperfection. And the Buddha said that, that um, if you're born into this world, you get this. It's not just you. The definition of birth, the leading cause of all kinds of difficulties. And, but he didn't stop with just saying this. He said that there, as, a, as he was considered a great physician, he says, if uh, this is a disease that we all have, and he always talked, started with the, what's our condition. This is the condition, but he always had a prescription to how to deal with it. And in this case, he said, open to it open to the fact of, of dukkha, of that which is difficult to bear in your life, that feeling of dissatisfaction, that feeling of things not being the way you want them. He also elaborated from his own experience 
in his own examination, as his eyes opened, what he saw was um, that um, birth will kill you. (laughs) That birth is the leading cause of death. (laughs) And he saw that, that everybody who is born dies. And if you're lucky, you get old and you will inevitably get sick. And that really opened his eyes. But his prescription for dealing with it is just get used to it. Make peace with it. But it's not really our MO, is to make peace with it. Our habit is to run from it. So here I am in the, in the security room, and I'm feeling the reality of dukkha. Okay, open to it. And the cause of dukkha, you want to study the cause. And in general, he said, the cause is, put in the loosest terms, is, is wanting things to be different than the way they are. That expresses itself as craving. Craving for something more pleasurable to happen. Did any of you notice any search for pleasure today? Did any of you set up what, like, what you like against what you don't like? which the third Zen patriarch says is the disease of the mind. Expresses itself as the desire to get somewhere, become someone. And we, of course, the expression of that is we get caught in this, what I call the state of suspended happiness. We get caught in a state of, of craving, of the, a feeling that comes over us that's, that it's basically shouting out until we actually explore it. It's shouting out all the reasons why I can't be happy now. And it tells a story that uh, this present moment is, is not, um, not a place that I can find relief. Somebody asked Eckhart Tolle, about dealing with this, um, trying to get someplace to, trying to get anywhere but here for a sense of relief. And the questioner asked him, he said, I can't believe that I could ever reach a point where I'm completely free of my problems. And he responds, you're right. You can never reach that point because you are at that point right now. There's no salvation in time. You cannot be free in the future. Presence is the key to freedom. You can only be free now. So in that moment, I felt the, felt the incredible discomfort and the arousal that I felt from be- getting so angry and having that frustration. Saw that the cause of it was wanting the situation to be different than the way it was. Wanting this security agent to be different than the way they were. And... And in, that, in the trance that usually goes with that intense desire for th- people to be different or the situation to be different, our projection is that everyone else is the cause of my disease. But what's actually happened is I've lost contact with a sense of balance. And I'm mad that I've lost my seat. But by bringing attention to that grabbing that very painful feeling that was generating this whole story of how this idiot, oh, excuse me, <laughs> should be different than the way he is. <laughs> that very painful feeling that was just churning out my case for the prosecution. When I actually felt it, felt its rumblings, I go, oh my Lord, this is, I'm, I'm really shook up here. But in the moment of turning attention to it, letting it be, giving it space as we've been offering for you to do everything that it's hard to bear, there was a, there wasn't necessarily the energy of whatever that upset didn't necessarily subside immediately, but the suffering about it subsided. The reaction in my mind subsided because the reaction of Aversion or ill will could not coexist with my interest and curiosity about that feeling. So I just felt it in the body. And I saw that 
in this fathom-long body lies the world. It's like this. And the cause of the world. And what happens when, I, when my mind moves away from this immediate reality. And then, of course, the Buddha didn't stop there. He says, in this fathom-long body lies the end of the world. End of that whole drama. The moment I bought, brought my mind, put my mind back in my body. Just felt it. Didn't go anywhere else. The world that I had created in my mind, of all the things that had to happen in order for me to be happy, all of that vanished and there was just this turbulence. And our well-being cannot be dependent on the turbulence going away, but our well-being is dependent on whether we, uh, we work with it in a balanced way, whether we open to it. And by being mindful, mindful the function of mindful attention is that it, it stops the war. It stops the, the struggle. And then eventually there was a, a cessation of, of all the struggle. And this reminds us that the Buddha didn't stop with you should open to, to, um, to dukkha, to open to what's difficult. said that you need to, if you notice the cause, which is that intense desire for things to be other than the way they are, if you open to that as well, you fulfill the, his prescription for dealing with the cause of suffering, which is abandoning it, letting it go, letting it be. So you'll hear over the course of all the teachings hinge on cultivating, cultivating the through direct perception, through clear seeing, through the, through the lifting of ignorance, cultivating the heart that doesn't, the heart or mind that doesn't cling, that lets go. As one of our um, lineage teachers said, do everything, do everything with a mind that lets go. If you let go a little, you'll have a little peace. If you let go a lot, you'll have a lot of peace. If you let go completely, you'll have complete peace and freedom. Your struggles with the world will come to an end. And Ajahn Sumedho, while we're on the subject of letting go, he said the practice of letting go is very effective for our minds that are obsessed by compulsive thinking. He says, you simplify your practice down to two words, letting go. Rather than try to develop this practice and go into that and go into this, understand this and read the sutras, study the Abhidharma, which is Buddhist psychology, learn Pali and Sanskrit, the Madhyamaka and the Prajnaparamita, get ordinations in the Hinayana, the Mahayana, the Vajrayana, and become a world-renowned authority on Buddhism, instead of becoming the world's expert on Buddhism and being invited to great international Buddhist conferences, just let go. Let go, let go. I did nothing but this. For about two years, every time I tried to understand or figure things out, I'd say, let go, let go, until the desire would fade out. Fade out. So I'm making it very simple for you, to save you from getting caught in incredible amounts of suffering. There is nothing more sorrowful than having to attend international Buddhist conferences. (laughs) Just read a little bit more. He says, some of you might have the desire to become the Buddha of the age, Maitreya radiating love throughout the world, but instead I suggest just being an earthworm, letting go of the desire to radiate love throughout the world. Just be an earthworm who knows only two words. Let go, let go, let go. So this speaks to this natural capacity that we have to relinquish this tight fist of grasping that keeps us bound in the view of life that I can't be okay now. And it's really a moment of mindful attention away that moment of cessation. It's a moment of turning toward those achy knees, those achy thighs. And at least for that moment, 
not being at war with things just the way they are. And if you do that, you fulfill the, the, what he, the Buddha called the fourth truth. Again, the first truth is there is that which is difficult to bear. There is so much pain in this world. There is the pain of being born. There's the pain of sickness, the pain of, of old age, the pain of, of dying, the pain of not getting what you want, the pain of not wanting what you get, the pain of loss. Everybody has it. Nobody is immune to it. This is, this is a truth that, is, uh, that everyone has. And the prescription for this is to open to it. I was looking for a story that I often share. And this just speaks to our tendency to um, miss this very simple prescription for uh, dealing with our life moment by moment. I, we can talk about it in a grand way, and, but it's really how we work with things moment to moment. But this is an a anonymous story, and it's entitled The 84th Problem. Once a farmer went to tell the Buddha about his problems. He told the Buddha about his troubles farming, how either droughts or monsoons made his work difficult. Told the Buddha about his wife, how even though he loved her, there were certain things about her he wanted to change. Likewise with his children. Yes, he loved them, but they weren't turning out quite the way he wanted. When he was finished, he asked the Buddha how he could help him with his troubles. The Buddha said, I'm sorry, I can't help you. What do you mean, railed the farmer? You're supposed to be a great teacher. The Buddha replied, sir, it's like this. All human beings have 83 problems. It's a fact of life. Sure, a few problems may go away now and then, but soon enough others will arise. So we'll always have 83 problems. The farmer responded indignantly. Then what's the good of all your teaching? Well, the Buddha replied, my teaching can't help with the 83 problems, but perhaps it can help with the 84th problem. What's that? asked the farmer. The 84th problem is that we don't think we should have any problems. We all have a deep-seated belief that if we practice long and hard enough, our problems would disappear. The truth is our problems don't disappear. But our, our reactions to our problems definitely ease. And I think that for my, just thinking about the, my own past practice, I think some of the greatest revelations were sitting with intense physical pain. And I could, the, the pain was not, it was just inevitable. I couldn't, couldn't really stop its arising. And at first I had that so closely fused with suffering. If I have that much pain, I'm suffering. But then I started to pay attention to it. And the invitation for you is to do the same. And what started as this monolithic pain, all of a sudden with a little bit more intimacy, turned into stabbing, burning, searing, squeezing, pulsing, vibrating, sweating, heat, cool, the whole thing. But then it, as my mind got a little bit closer to it, it started breaking up into vibrations and, and particles. And then in moments it was gone and then it was back in space. And meanwhile, it dawned on me that the same the same pain was still there. My body was still perspiring intensely, just accommodating it, but my mind had stopped suffering about it. It just stopped being at war with it. And it, I discovered, as you will, is that you can't be interested and curious about anything. Be mindful of anything and suffer in the same moment. The suffering is does not coexist with, with being really present. So every little moment that we just experiment with seeing if those truths are real, if the truth of dukkha is real, and we just follow that prescription for a moment, open to it, notice what happens to your mind as you open little by little to the, to the pain 
to the discomfort, to the dissatisfaction, to the boredom, to whatever it is, but sense how it's felt in the body. It all happens in this fathom-long body. And the source of, the, you will feel the pain in the body, you'll also feel the relief in your body. All happens right here. So just to elaborate a little bit more, the first truth, this truth that we have 83 problems. Prescription to open to it. The second truth, the cause of um, what turns these, this basic unsatisfactoriness, basic challenge of life, basic difficulties into mental suffering is our relationship to it is our desire for it to be other than the way it is is because of the 84th problem and that 84th problem we've got to let go of that we've got to relinquish the uh, state of of wanting things to be different how do we do that how do we abandon that state of wanting things to be different by noticing the state of wanting by noticing the state of waiting, by noticing the state of hoping, by noticing the state of hating, by noticing all of the different states that that come and how we feel them in our body. If we follow the the story of them, they're endless. That's what's called samsara. Endless wandering, endless building of the case for why I can't be happy now. But if you actually feel this is craving, cravings like this, and this this is what happens This is what's true right now. When you meet that with curiosity and interest, it may not go away, but the reaction to it begins to cease. And there's no longer any fuel being given to that uh, that state of, of contentiousness. And this leads to the third truth that the Buddha said truth of dukkha, the truth of the cause of it, what turns it into mental suffering. The third truth, there is an end. There is a cessation. And the prescription for this, this must be realized. You must realize the truth of letting go. I mean, we can all even practice this right now. You may have constructed a whole conclusion about today and about this retreat. Any of you made any conclusions yet? Any of you made a little case against yourself today? So notice what happens. Thank you for your honesty. Notice what happens now if you just put your attention in your body as it sits here. Put your body in your mind. And you, for this time, you don't look back over the day and you don't look ahead to tomorrow. And you don't build any case against yourself and you just feel what's happening. What do you find unpresent in the present? Can that story about today, can that be captured in this moment of sitting, of hearing, of being? And how far did we have to travel in order to, for that lifetime to end? That whole conclusion about the day, how far did we have to travel? You could say this is a mini version of the end of suffering. This is the third noble truth. And we didn't, there was no tricks involved here. All we did was uh, bring our mindful attention to bear on this moment in its simplicity. And we can discover that that, the end of suffering, the end of dukkha, the end of that mental turmoil, 
is really um, just a split second away. But we don't develop confidence in that until we experiment with the Four Noble Truths like we did, like you did this morning. And the experimentation is the fourth noble truth, that there is a path that we create out of our own life, out of our own, in our own mind and body, here and now. There is a path. And the prescription for this path, the prescription for the end of suffering was to realize it. The prescription toward the, for the path to the end of suffering is to cultivate it, is to create it in your life, is to create a life, as we've talked about already, to orient yourself toward living in harmony with the truth, living in harmony with life by establishing a foundation of a foundation of non-harming, which we've all agreed to do here. And how that how as we let go slowly of our of all the uh, effects of our of our uh, our actions that have caused harm as we as we work with the effects in our body our, our either our excessive busyness we come to the retreat and we face the fact that we're deeply exhausted we inevitably if we sit here because if you sit here, you see the results of what you've practiced. You'll, have the, you'll be visited by all the relationships of your life, people you've said things to, memories, not all at once, gladly, hopefully. <laughs> but moment by moment, we, we begin to meet all of those with kindness and, and mindfulness. We meet them all and slowly, our, as our actions here come into harmony, we make peace, we forgive ourselves for actions that we have engaged in in the past of, with our bodies, our speech, or even our thoughts. We slowly make peace. So we establish that foundation of non-harming with ourselves, with others. And this is the phase of the noble eightfold path called wise action. And we're fulfilling it really in any moment of mindfulness. It's really hard to cause suffering and be fully attentive in the same moment. So that's the navigator, is the middle part of the Eightfold Path, which is wise concentration, which includes mindfulness, the sense of being collected, the sense of applying a wise effort, the effort to cultivate the things that are useful and to keep maintaining them. And that's what we're doing here. What it's, what's useful? Mindful attention. It's almost synonymous with letting go. What we're cultivating are the conditions that lead to a calm abiding and concentration. And we're doing that by utilizing this capacity that we have to, to gather our attention here instead of our life being all about what's next. That's the, our daily life motto is what's next. But here, our practice, our wise effort is into what's here, what's now. Here and now, not there and then. And we apply that effort that gives rise to a sense of, wow, here. And I know many people described it today. Lots of flowing of gratitude, even though even dealing with all the pain, but gratitude for the conditions, your eyes starting to open, your senses starting to clear. This is not an accident. This is from the, the effect of wise effort to brush that dust of memory. Letting the clear mirror of our mind start to shine. Let our perception clear. And with it, our hearts. Hearts and minds are the same. When our mind opens, our heart opens. It's one and the same. We just have two words in English. So we fulfill the middle of the Eightfold Path and then the, the latter part of the Eightfold Path and it's a hologram so it, everything affects everything. Through our more clear perception of what's going on, we see for ourselves. We develop what's called wise understanding. We see that, yeah, 
if I'm really here, I see that there's a lot that's hard to be with. And I see that when I, when I chronically want it to be different, it creates suffering. And when I let it be, I feel better. And I see that, that when there's letting go, there's a sense of well-being and a sense of freedom. And it has nothing to do with the outer or even the inner conditions changing. It has everything to do with the, the attitude of mind I'm bringing to what's happening. It's whether I'm clinging or condemning or, or making it all about me or whether I'm just seeing it just the way it is. It's all determined by how I relate to my experience. And so as our wise understanding grows that, uh, that it's not all about me, that it's just moments, that it, there's just what's happening right now, then I realize that all of that, all of our meing and mying and dramatizing and all of, my, all of my cases about myself and about the retreat, it's... Um, it's just a story. And when, I, when that story subsides a little bit, as, it, as I really even sense that it is as we're sitting here, we start to feel more connected to each other. And out of that comes a natural intention, wise intention, wise thought that's oriented toward goodwill, toward... Um, toward contentment, toward a sense of renunciation, a kind of joy in in simplifying. That sense of, I don't need anything else right now. And that holding on doesn't make any sense when I'm seeing clearly. Just... And so I'm cultivating wise intention, wise thought, wise understanding, and it's all happening in real time. There's so many examples in many traditions of of beings who have fallen under the same confusion. Because really, all of us love ourselves, and even the our most unhelpful strategies, as one teacher Nisargadatta put it, your flight from pain and your search for pleasure is a sign of love you bear for yourself. The intention is good, but the methodology is flawed. It just, the intense seeking after, grabbing, pushing away, running from silence, has unfortunately, all of our habits, even in our best attempts to make us happy, have just increased our sense of of unhappiness. So you have someone like Rumi, who is essentially crying out like the Buddha. He says, inside this new love, die. What do you think he means by that? Inside this new love, die. Your way begins on the other side. Become the sky. Take an axe to the prison wall. Escape. Walk out like someone suddenly born into color. Do it now. You're covered with thick clouds. Slide out the side. Die and be quiet. Quietness is the surest sign that you've died. Your old life was a frantic running from silence. The speechless full moon comes out now. I'll just close with a brief passage from from the Buddha. Eeny, meeny, miny. (laughs) For one who clings, motion exists. 
But for one who clings not, there's no motion. Where no, where no motion is, there is stillness. Where stillness is, there is no craving. Where no craving is, there is neither coming nor going. Where neither coming nor going is, there is neither arising nor passing away. Where neither arising nor passing away is, there is neither this world, nor a world beyond, nor a state in between. This is the joy of nirvana. So every moment that we're mindful fulfills that stopping, that dying, not lifting out of this moment to find relief. So let's continue to sit in the position you're in for just a few moments. May all beings open to life as it is. May all beings abandon the causes that keep us from opening. May all beings realize the sacred happiness that's without sorrow here and now. May all beings grow in serenity and equanimity, able to meet inevitable joys and sorrows with less grasping, less aversion. May all beings be liberated. So thanks for listening. We have about uh, 35 minutes for. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.